Welcome to The Leadership File, your weekly show inspiring you to lead for Christ, wherever you are. I'm Andy Peck, your host, thanking you for joining us. Whether you're listening live or one of the many thousands who listen via the podcast, it's great to have you along. If you're new to the show, a reminder that the show is available on demand via premierradio.com or via iTunes or Podbean. My aim with the shows is to provide a look at the knowledge, the skills and the attitudes necessary for Christian to lead so that God's work is advanced. So do continue to join us each week and see your leadership flourish under God's hand. To celebrate 700 shows, I have selected the best six shows from the archive material for you. And the sixth and the final show is my conversation with Viv Thomas, the former uh, international director of Operation Mobilisation and founder of Formation. Viv looks at decision-making as a leader. How do we hear God? What role does common sense and our own desires have within making decisions as a leader? This was first broadcast in April 2017. Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show that helps you lead where you are. I'm Andy Pegg. Well, welcome back to the Leadership File, Viv Thomas. Viv is an Associate International Director of Operation Mobilisation. He and his wife Sheila live in London, uh, the UK, where he's also Honorary Teaching Pastor of St Paul's Hammersmith and Founder and Director of Formation, which runs schools and courses on the spiritual journey in growth in Christ. Last time we were together we were considering spiritual disciplines or habits. Today we're talking about the themes covered in his latest book, Wisdom Road, Making Decisions in Company with God. So, welcome Viv. Thank you, Andy. A joy to be back. Good stuff. Great. Um, Now, you say that this book is, in quotes, not a how to make a perfect decision book. Mm. And at one point you say that making good decisions is learning from making bad ones. Mm. So, how do you sum up what you're trying to do in the book? Um, There's there's really two big things I'm paying attention to. Um, Number one is can we trace the important things that we need to pay attention to as we make a decision? So the idea is not if you follow one, two, three, you will then make this perfect decision and your life will be free and you'll be good looking and everything will work (laughs) out well for you. Rather, here are the things you need to pay attention to if you're going to make a decision. So that was was number Mm. one. And then number two is... Uh, a place that people can come back to when they make a decision and it doesn't work out as they imagined Mm. because it could well be that you make a decision, it kind of goes wrong and then you look, think, well, how did it go wrong? Then maybe read Wisdom Road again and you maybe go, aha, that is the reason why it went (laughs) wrong. Okay, brilliant. Well, you will know that books on decision-making broadly fall into two categories. Uh, Ones that seem to imply you can... uh, you know, you need to stay in and find God's will, mm. uh, and uh, you know the details of life are kind of orchestrated by God. And those that look in terms of broad areas of God's will, and then suggest the details left up to us. So, what's your expectation of God when it comes to His role in decision making? Yeah, uh, some deep theological stuff right behind okay. that question sure, that sure. you give to give to me. Uh, I'm much more in the latter camp, okay. uh, in the sense that God gives us freedom to be able to make choices as we respond to him mm-hmm. and to the world mm-hmm. and to the circumstances we find ourselves. 
and that God in his in, in his will gives us he, our lives are his but he gives them back to us mm. and says okay let's walk together through this let's mm. see what we can do here uh, with you in this particular state mm. and and God's working out his will in the middle of all of those things mm. but he draws us into this place where we are able to just pay attention to what he's talking about so God's right in the middle of it in the mix mm. huge thing will be um, around your temperament mm. uh, because people experience God in different ways um, I go to lots of churches around the world and the church is very different around mm. the world and so it depends on cultural issues temperament the way in which you're formed as an individual as to how God works it out with you mm. uh, when it comes to the, the decision making process mm. and the variety like like every prayer life is different but the same Yes. Um, so every decision maker is different, but the same in a similar way. So, so within that, you, the prophetic voice or the inner voice of God, mm. there's room for that within your absolutely, framework? absolutely critical um, mm. that you are able not only to be there rationally, mm. but there emotionally and be there spiritually as well. Mm. Mm. Uh, and very much that God's going to lead you, guide you, speak to you mm. uh, on the inside, uh, if you pay attention to him. Um, in my organization, one of the founders, a guy called Dale Roton, uh, said that every great decision we've ever made has emerged from the prayer meeting. Mm. And I think that's true. Uh, so in the, in the place of prayer and listening to God, God speaks. He speaks in all sorts of other places too, but a, a large part of, of yeah. a lot, lot of room for uh, the inner voice and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And if you really want to get into this, uh, and I love the kind of charismatic side, but you need to get into uh, the life of Ignatius of Loyola if you want to really get a well-developed scheme as to yeah. God speaking to you in a fresh and engaging way. Um, really important. Thank you. Yeah, you quote him, of course, in yeah. the book, uh, various points. Yeah, splendid. Um, so you, you look at four foundations for discernment. Uh, that's walk with Jesus, anticipate the weather, pay attention to your heart, and practice hospitality. I, I guess that fourth one was the one I was a little surprised yeah. to see there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So unpack that. Well, well, I wouldn't be surprised you're surprised. <laughs> um, and that's because we are all creatures, if you're brought up in the West, yes. of, of a highly individualized world, yeah. where I understand my life is primarily about me, and I'm the free, autonomous decision maker mm. who just looks at the world and makes a decision and we imagine that that decision will then set me free to live mm. my life. Um, but I don't think it's that way. <clears throat> I think we are communally made, made in the image of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit mm. and made to be together in churches, in families, in teams. Mm. So there's something deeply relational about scripture and I think about the decision making process too right. uh, and that I only can really make a sane decision in relationship to my community in relationship to those I show hospitality to mm. those who I draw into my life because those are the people that let me know who I am those are the people that give me my identity mm. and if you don't know who you are when it comes to the decision making process then you are truly uh, lost mm. and I think that's what's happening in, in, in London and, and in our mm. big major cities people are trying to make decisions by themselves without community, without hospitality without paying mm. attention to what others may say mm. and are getting lost in their own little tiny space that we mm. imagine is huge 
but is actually a very restricted place for the uh, for the imagination. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that one of the qualities of an elder is to be someone who practices hospitality. Absolutely, right? absolutely. Which is and, often overlooked. Uh, yeah, but, but a key part of, yeah. of the whole leadership piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that if you don't know how to open up your heart generously to people, mm. then you won't get discernment. You won't mm. be able to see what's going on, not only in your church or your organization, but even in your own life. You'll be a mystery to yourself. Yes, yes, indeed. Now, I was intrigued by a comment towards the end of the book where you quote the title of Bishop Stephen Koshel's book, and the title is Do Nothing to Change Your Life. Mm. Um, does that suggest you have an essentially passive view of life over and against the more kind of activist style that mm. we see in the kind of evangelist, yeah. evangelical charismatic world? Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd resist the split of those okay. two. Okay. Um, I don't think it's a question of being passive or active. Mm -hmm. um, the most creative place mm. you can be, the place where much happens, is when you're in stillness before God mm. and listening to God. That can be the most active thing that's going on because it's there God speaks to you. Mm. It's there your imagination gets fired. It's there you listen to different things that you've not listened to before. So it's not a question of, of just let's all be quiet and do mm. nothing. Mm -hmm. um, the times of silence and of solitude are in are like engine rooms for the rest of your life. Mm. They are like um, energy resources. They're, that's where you get your nutrition. Uh, that's where you get your strength. Mm. And then you're able to step out into your active life as a leader, but coming from a place of strength, okay. which is why we got the gift of Sabbath, mm. uh, so that we will be able to spend a day when we're not in control, not leading, not driving, not the great evangelical rush to save the world, mm. Mm. but in a place of listening, if we get that balance right, then we can live richly before God. Mm. But yeah, it's a startling thing, do nothing to change your life. But I think essentially it's true. It mm. means rest in God's grace, rest in what God's done for you, yeah. begin there, and then you can fire away. Okay, well that's helpful, thank you. Now, um, I mean the book makes use of examples of good and bad decision making. Uh, and you look at a mountain mountaineering disaster in 96, uh, mm. which was written up in the book Into Thin Air. Yep. Um, so how can leaders learn from that story? Just get, get, oh, brief. get the book yeah. into, uh, into thin air. John Krakow wrote it. Mm. It's a fantastic mm. story, a tragic story mm. of the way in which people lost their lives going up Everest uh, with two competing teams trying to get people up Everest in a commercial enterprise. And it's really about leadership that was inexperienced, mm. uh, did not listen, uh, was arrogant, uh, turned the people they were trying to get up Everest into uh, instruments for their competition and for their use. Yeah. Uh, it's really a story about people who don't pay attention to what we call cognitive bias, that they didn't really understand what the, the bias that was on, on, yeah. on in their hearts, going on in their hearts. Uh, so I think what we get from that is, is a, a, a a beautiful, tragic, but beautiful explanation of the mm. sort of things that happen to leaders in churches and in, mm. and in organizations, that we too get proud, get arrogant, mm. find ourselves in making decisions on other people's part that are tragic decisions, mm. Mm. Uh, turning people into instruments rather than people, which is what I, th I think essentially they seem to do, mm. um, and anticipating that somehow we would be successful. And of course, in, in this, both leaders of these teams lost their lives as well. So it's a, 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 
not only a tragedy for the people they led, but a tragedy for, for themselves and their own families. Yeah. And, and so uh, the modern obsession maybe with a, a leader coming in with a mission statement that the, 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 the followers follow, yeah. as opposed to them equipping yeah. the people, yeah. is, is part of that kind of Yeah, the, 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 big, sh- the big shift, I think, mm. is that they focused on their goals and not on the people they were leading. Yeah, yeah. If they'd focused on the people they were leading, they'd have made other choices. Like everybody knows apparently about the, the turnaround rule in when you're climbing Everest, mm. that if you're up there at one, you've got to be up there by one o'clock in the afternoon. Right. If you're not up there by one o'clock in the afternoon, turn back. Mm. They got up there at four o'clock in the afternoon. The weather then changed yeah. and they died. Um, and the thing that would make them get up there, the thing that would make them ignore that turnaround rule, I think, is they focus on the goal rather than the people. Yeah. And it, as you pay attention to the people, then you start that starts to shape your idea around leadership and goal setting and vision setting. Yeah. And it's a it's a complex balance. Sure. But um, Jesus came for people uh, to to mm. save them, heal them bring them into a place of flourishing, mm. give them hospitality, yeah. uh, get them saved in every possible dimension of that word. And as soon as you lose that uh, vision, mm. you become a liability as a leader. Yeah. We're listening to The Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Viv Thomas. Viv is the uh, author of his latest book, uh, Wisdom Road, Making Decisions in Company with God. And we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to the Leadership Farm. Me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Viv Thomas. Uh, Viv, uh, is welcome back to Viv. He's been on the show before. He's the Associate International Director of Operation Mobilization. He's an honorary teaching pastor at St. Paul's Hammersmith. He's Director of Formation. And also the, his latest book, uh, of a number of books you can uh, find from uh, Viv, is Wisdom Road, Making Decisions in Company with God. So we're talking before the break a little bit about the, the book and uh, some of the aspects of it. So we're going to continue in the second half of this uh, of this broadcast. Um, Viv, you quote uh, Stanley Havas, uh decision-making is not about what I ought to do, but what I ought to be. Mm. So is that a useful maxim for it's, Christian leaders? It's not just useful, it's beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Because we put so much around what, what will I now do mm. in my decision-making? What will I now accomplish? What will I now achieve? Mm-hmm. Um, and those are great questions for leaders, and leaders need to ask those questions. But all of that, what I will do and achieve, will come out of who I am, mm. will come out of the way I've been formed in my heart, the things that have shaped my life, the things mm. that have shaped my imagination. It will come out of my identity mm. um, because every leader leads in the end out of their identity and not out of their mm. talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get leaders of sort of equal talent uh, that look, spectacular mm, mm. but when you get in a bit further into their inner lives mm. you find out who's the strong one and who's the weak one mm. and it's the one who's got this strong sense of who they are mm. and the reason why they're doing what they're doing is because this is who they are yeah. uh, and in these days lots of leaders are victims I think to pressures from all sorts of areas that just say achieve grow big uh, get on the road sort it all out be successful but it's all built on a tiny inner life and a small identity. An image I often use, maybe not so helpful, is they look like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to look, yes. but inside they're Charlie Chaplin. Right, yes. Uh, and the reverse needs to happen if we're going to develop 
great leaders and also mm. achieve our goals. Sure, sure. Which leads me to the next question, Midley, which was, you know, you look at the ways in which some decisions are, de are delivered to us. In other words, we find ourselves in a particular culture, community, story and framework of thinking. Um, uh, I mean, how, how important is it to embrace our, our, our story? Our own personal oh, story. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Right to the centre when it comes to your own identity and mm. what it means to be a leader. Um, and, uh, and we've got this illusion that's been delivered to us mm. from our culture that more or less says you're free to do anything you like. <laughs> you can choose to be whatever you want to be. That's a big part of our rhetoric. Mm. And that will set up problems for us as we, t as we teach our children that you can be whatever you want to be. Yeah. There'll be a ministry for people, for these people in their 40s, when they realize, oh, I couldn't actually mm. be whatever. Because there was this givenness. There was my story. There was my culture. Mm. There was my community that shaped me. Mm. But your story is pivotal. Uh, every decision you make comes out of your, the way you've experienced your story. Mm. Um, so my story influences my life every day. Yeah. Uh, the things I've been through and haven't been through, the choices yeah. I've made, the mix, the people I've kept with, the education I've got or haven't got, mm. uh, all of that will significantly shape what I pay attention to and therefore my decision-making. Mm. Pay attention to the woman or man you marry, mm. I think comes out of, uh, of the sort of story that you've led and what you feel you need at that time. So it's incredibly powerful. So the more you're able to know your story, the more you're introduced to your story mm. and yourself, the real story of who you are, uh, then the better it will be. And the danger for leaders is we live in the world of promotion. We promote our organizations, we market, um, and all that's helpful in its own way. But if you just see yourself as the marketed self and you don't really know your own story, then that becomes difficult and can sometimes end in some sort of leadership breakdown or collapse or disappointment uh, or cynicism is often how mm. it manifests itself. Sure, we've, we've spoken in the past on the Leadership Fire, there's one guy, particularly Simon Walker, who mm -hmm. wrote the series yep. The Undefended Leader, yep. and he was talking about, he had a breakdown because he said his his persona for the stage, as it were, was mm -hmm. different from the, stage, yep. the, the persona backstage, yep. and he... You know, very helpfully yep. worked that through. Simon's brilliantly done the front stage, mm. backstage. Yeah. I did this with one leader and said, what's your front stage and what's your backstage? <laughs> and he looked at it and he said, actually, you know, I have no backstage. <laughs> it's all front. It's yes. all all promotion. Yeah, yeah. And so he had to develop a strong yeah, yeah. backstage. Splendid. Okay. So maybe you could say a word about desire within all this. Um, you note in the book that, the, that these shape our choices. I'm just wondering what, role they play because obviously we're in a culture where where desire has a a, a big play hmm. um and, and a christian culture sometimes as well yep. and um you know there will be people listening who think i'm wanting to, to take the church in a certain direction yep. it seems to be a god kind of place but it's actually a personal desire how would you yep. what would you say about the, the concept of desire yeah well uh, i think you as a Everybody needs to notice their desires. Mm. Uh, I think it's Sheldrake, Philip Sheldrake, who says our desires are our best expressions of ourselves, mm. um, which is a bit sobering, really, when I think mm. of what I desire. Mm -hmm. um, and it gets complex in leaders because you want to build your church, you want to build your organization, you think, I desire to do that. Mm. And it's a great desire. What I think you need to pay attention to is the desire behind the desire. Okay. Why? Why do you want to 
build this organization? Why do you want to build this church? Mm. What's the real stuff that's driving that? Mm. So I think of one vicar uh, I know quite well, very successful in terms of size of church and money and all the rest of it. But his real desire in leading this church was to please his father. Right. He, he'd had a damaged relationship with his father. Um, it hadn't really gone well. So he was building this great religious edifice, mm. and it was and it, it was it was good. It was people wouldn't notice this, I don't think, under his leadership, mm-hmm. at least not for a while. Um, but what was driving him was this, this was a compensation for uh, the relationship he had with his father. Mm. He wanted to please his father in this, so mm. that was his real desire. Mm. So it'd be really helpful if he, if he notices that, yes. can walk with that and go, okay, this is who I am, this is what's going on in me, mm. how can the Holy Spirit touch that, transform mm. that, and we can work with that. Um, so that uh, desire becomes r- really important, particularly for leaders, mm. because leadership, to quote one of my mentors, is a great big ball of wax. Mm. You don't know quite what's happening in your own heart. Mm. Um, I know for me, one of, I love the platform. I mm. love, I have no trouble being in front. It's a... Uh, I feel comfortable mm. in front. Uh, that's kind of dangerous in its own little way because mm. th- then the desire for me would be, well, I'll go to the front. I'll do the speaking. I'll do the presenting. Mm. Uh, for others, they would dread being there. But for me, it feels like natural natural right, breath. Right. So I have to pay attention to what that desire means for me and how do I work mm. that out and what does that mean for my leadership. I'm going to say, because you can... Um, you can get obsessively introspective on desires yeah. and, and in a sense God yeah. uses our impure desires yeah, even. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think the thing is to be as open as you can with your desires, yeah. mm. um, to be able to say to, to the team you're leading, this is, this is what I like, this is mm. what I really want, mm. and let them walk with you in the middle of those desires. Mm. And uh, you can usually turn them into some fresh, humorous place where if mm. people know or oh, this is what's driving him today, this is what he's really after, mm. uh, then it can be a place of great joy, actually. Mm. Um, and I've got a relationships with, like that with some of my team, um, that they know what's going on here, <laughs> and it's very funny. <laughs> very good. Now, you, you talk in the, the book about temperament, we touched on it all, mm. earlier, and you also mentioned it earlier, that we, ex- we experience God very, very differently. Yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about um, temperament and this whole process of decision making. And um, because, you know, it, the classic Myers-Briggs, you know, there's introvert, extrovert, mm-hmm. and although introverts are around about 25% of the population, yeah. they're very high percentage of church leaders are introverted. Yeah. And therefore, they're unlikely to want to other, others to to connect with them in the mm. hospitality sense. Mm. So just maybe you could share a little bit. You mentioned it in the book. Mm. Uh, you talk about your, your being a yellow yep. and all that kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, yeah. I'm not sure I quite understand no, it still. It's just another <laughs> temperamental analysis yes. thing. Mm. Yeah, um, like we've been created in a, in a certain way. God's mm. given us particular interests, particular emotional states of mm. life uh, through our stories, through mm. our gene pool. And it gives us a, a temperament. And there are different ways in which you can slice up these mm. temperaments. And the, the, 
the the Myers-Briggs stuff may be helpful, maybe not so helpful, depends how you mm. look at it. Uh, but each of us have got a temperament, a, partic- a particular thing we're drawn to, a particular thing we pay attention to. Mm. Uh, my wife and I, totally different temperaments, the way in which we look at the world, um, with her being much more kind of discreet and conservative, and me leaning towards being an exaggerator and an extrovert. Mm. Uh, so that shapes the way in which we make decisions. Mm. So uh, uh, Sheila and people like are much more methodical in the mm. decisions they make. So mm. if we try and buy a washing machine, for instance, mm. I'll go into a shop and in two minutes say, that's the one I want. Uh, someone from a different temperament would say, you must be joking. Mm. We are now going to hit the websites right. and we're going to do a statistical analysis of this washing machine mm. and find out what we get and then we'll be able to make the decisions. Mm. So it's and, and that's just to do with temperament. Yeah. And, and I think God encounters us in the middle of the temperaments mm. we've got. So some of us are naturally drawn to more of a quiet space. Some of us are naturally mm. drawn to... Uh, big charismatic worship, for instance. Um, And in the middle of this, God meets us in the middle of of our temperaments. And this is why teams are so critical, because you need a mix of these temperaments on a leadership team as much as you can, so you can draw on all the richness uh, that that God's given you. And so if you're making a decision, you'd be wise to to take cognizance of that and to give the space for those who are even though you maybe as an extrovert leader yep. know exactly where you're going. Yep. If you've got introverts in your team, or to use just one yeah, yeah. category, I mean, yep. there's others, yep. Yep. then you, you need to give those that sort of space. Knowing one another helps. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do a bit of teaching in different colleges, mm. and, and I often just kind of throw out a question um, and I, I imagine that people will be able to respond to this question very quickly. Mm. But, of course, many people can't. They, mm. they need to... And I, these days I say, here's a question... I'll give you a minute to think about it. Mm. And then others who move in a different way mm. get to a question. Yes. Um, and, a, uh, and, a, and that's much more being aware of what's happening in the room. Mm. And leaders need to be aware as to what's happening in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly time's defeated us, but it's just a chance to tell people how to get a copy of the book. Uh, you can get this book on Amazon. Uh, if you go type in Viv Thomas, um, Wisdom Road, uh, you can get the book there and order it in hard copy or digital version. Um, uh, you can get it through the Formation website, www.formation.org.uk, and that will take you in through Amazon. So it's available. Wisdom's available. Fantastic. Uh, so <laughs> have a go. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Packer, was joined this week by Viv Thomas. He is the, the author of this uh, book we've been talking about, Wisdom Road, Making Decisions in Company of God. May God uh, bless your decision-making in the year ahead. Amen. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. This is Andy Pack thanking you for joining us for this special six-part series. You can find all regular archive material by going to the Leadership File podcast on premierradio.com or iTunes or Podbean. You can email me your comments, apec at cwr.org.uk. 
The show broadcasts every week at 3.30 and I look forward to your company next week back to a regular schedule of shows. Thanks for tuning in.